Good evening. Hi, I'm Mario Canabai. I would like to welcome writer-director Sean Baker, <laughs> actor Bria Vinatier, and I think Willem Dafoe is just on his way in. I'll sit here for you. Okay. <laughs> We're going to be doing. Um, we're going to be having a few questions between us for about ten minutes. Then we'll bring the younger actors on stage, and then I'll open up to the audience. Um, Sean, I wanted to begin with you. Sure. Um, the film. What came first? The idea to film something in Florida and specifically in Orlando, or to make something about families or individuals that kind of live on the fringe of what is deemed normal society? Well same time actually because see it's a, it's a national issue the the issue of the, the hidden homeless <laughs> sorry to be late <laughs> um uh, yes yeah, so what i was saying was that uh basically i was this, this topic was brought to my attention in the context of being in Kissimmee in Orlando, Florida. So um, I didn't know it was a national issue. I didn't even really know of the term, the hidden homeless. And my co-screenwriter uh, had sent me some articles about this happening in the Kissimmee, Orlando area, being the fact that I think some news uh, journalists, uh, sorry, the local news media, they were focusing on the same exact juxtaposition that we focused on in this film. Uh, kids growing up in these budget motels outside of the, the place that we consider the, the most magical place on earth for children. So there was, I was introduced to the concept, uh, or I mean to this, to this issue through, through uh, articles written about this area. So it was mm -hmm. basically the same time. Um, the reason that we decided to set our story there is, is because we wanted to say if, uh, you know, this was, this is, if this could happen here, it could happen anywhere. And, um, and also, I had always wanted to make a film about children. I've been actually very inspired and influenced by um, Hal Roach's Our Gang, the Little Rascals series. I'm not sure how familiar people are with that here, but it's uh, in the States, there were these uh, comic shorts um, made during the 20s and 30s and set against the Great Depression, and they focused on the uh, the, the comical adventures of little children, um, even though most of the characters in the Little Rascals were actually living in poverty, but the, the focus was the, the joy of, of childhood and the humor that comes from just watching kids be kids. And so when Chris brought me this, uh, this story and we started exploring it, we thought this might be our opportunity to make a present day Little Rascals and, and, and apply sort of the same style to it. And in terms of obviously, everything kind of obviously hinges on finding those kids and finding um, Haley and Willem as well. So in terms right. of kind of Willem was perhaps is this through the only seasoned actor that was part of the film and everyone else was mm. kind of was the first time or they mm. hadn't acted before. Mm. Kind of it's the first time also you've used a seasoned actor. Well, but no, not to really. Extent. To an extent. 
like James Ransone, who I was in Tangerine, hates to hear that <laughs> because he, he, he has a, a, long, uh, you know, a long history. But, um, and there are actors, of course, in this film. There are a lot of, a lot of the supporting actors were, were professional actors, but just local actors that we got from the Orlando area. And then there's, of course, Caleb Landry Jones, who plays Bobby's son, and Macon Blair, and Karin Karagulian, who plays Narik, who's been in all of my films. But I like, I like mixing it up. I, I think that uh, you, you know, uh, using uh, seasoned actors and, and first-timers and non-professionals and mixing it all up adds, uh, brings something to the set and, and brings an excitement and, and, uh, and, uh, and also just there's a chemistry that happens or a weird alchemy where, where and it's based on each individual. You know, it's, it's, always, it's always interesting to see how um, a seasoned actor will interact with somebody who's very green. And, um, and so, yeah, so in this case, I guess I'll just jump right to it. Bria was uh, cast from Instagram. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Did you know what you were looking for when you were trying to cast? I wasn't looking for anything. I wasn't looking at Instagram to cast. I was actually looking at Instagram to, for perhaps inspiration um, in terms of character. But I think I was actually looking for the Ashley character, who eventually went, it went to Mella Murder, who is uh, a wonderful New York-based actress who I saw in a, New York, in a short called Gang. It's on Vimeo. I highly recommend you check it out. I, I, uh, I fell in love with her in that short and knew she had to be in this film. But we were looking at Instagram one night and, and I came across Bria's page and I was, I was just instantaneously, uh, I just thought, you know, I see some of Haley in her, but also the fact that I, I'm starting to think that Haley should be presented with a fresh face on mm. screen. You know, to, to, this is a character who is going through so many struggles and what she does for her daughter. I kept thinking that, if we had a celebrity playing this role, somebody who's very recognizable and who we, the audience was very, you know, uh, you know, who knew, the audience knew, sorry guys, it's been a really <laughs> long week of press, um, uh, that it would just pull the audience out every time we saw her. So I, I um, Bria for me had this wit, this, uh, she was self-deprecating in her videos and it was actually making me laugh a lot. Of course, her physicality with mm -hmm. these wonderful tattoos. And, and I thought, let's, you know, let's give, I've had success with my other films, mm -hmm. you know, meaning that I found other first timers that have worked out. And I think that gave me the liberty to actually ask my producers and financiers, June Pictures, to uh, let me roll the dice on this one. And, and I know they were they were pretty, uh, I could tell they were a little worried at first, but I said, let's bring her to Orlando and have her read with Brooklyn and, and Valeria. And I think at that moment when we saw that, when they saw the test tape, everyone was convinced this would work. Bria, what did you think when Sean first contacted you? I mean, honestly, I never would have thought an opportunity like this came from social media. So I definitely was a little hesitant because um, Sean's Instagram page is literally pictures of his dogs. So when I first got the direct message, I was like, huh, who is this person that has really cute dogs and is talking to me about a film? <laughs> they're um, cute. They're very cute. They're really cute. Um, but yeah, I had never acted before, and um, I definitely told him that. Um, 
he told me a little bit about the project and it just seemed like such an impactful, touching story. And I read the script and I just really wanted to be a part of it. So he flew me out to Orlando and the second me and Brooklyn met, we just had this initial connection and we just loved each other. Literally, when we made eye contact, we just were like, oh my God, it was, it was a moment. And yeah, I'm really, really blessed that Sean believed in me and trusted in me to bring Haley to life. It was a really amazing experience. Mm. What research did you do to bring Haley to life? Did you kind of meet people that lived around those areas? And what did you pull on for inspiration to make her authentic? Because she completely is. Um, well, I flew in about two, three weeks early, and we did acting classes on set with our amazing acting teacher, Samantha Kwan, who helped me and the kids, as well as Mela. Um, she was a really big help with character development, and she helped me come up with a backstory and just kind of crash course acting in, in two weeks, and that, <laughs> that really, it really helped me a lot. Um, and I also hung out with a few women that lived at the motels, Ginger and, yep. and Patricia, and they just really welcomed me with open arms, and they really wanted to share their struggles. They really wanted the story portrayed correctly. So they really just, everything that was going on in their lives, they shared, and I felt like it really helped me understand Haley's character, the environment that she was in, the struggles she faces on a daily basis, and that with the classes and, and with being on set and taking the classes at the Magic Castle, I feel like that whole, you know, it, it kind of fell together. And Willem, obviously, um, filming in the motels and that being kind of the real actual set where you're making the film and people actually living there. How does that guide you to shape and build Bobby? How did you use that to? Well, it roots everything. Am I good on this? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it roots everything that you're doing because you have people that are really very much a part of the story you're telling. They're, part, they're living the world that you're creating. So the people that were living at the motel and the people that were working at the motel really showed the way. And you became friendly with them. You became, you got to know them. Uh, they became you, you became them. You know, that's, that's what you need to do. Um, at least I, it feels like what I need to do sometimes to feel the confidence to do the pretending, to say, I am this guy. And for me, it was a beautiful situation because I had everything you want as an actor. I had a complete world that was rooted in a real world. I had a director that was very thoughtful, uh, well-researched, knew how to frame things, and had a beautiful screenplay, but at the same time was loose enough that when he saw an opportunity, he, he could improvise. Um, and I just had a good job. I had, I had very clear actions. I knew what I had to do. I had to go and get the rent from her. I had to fix the dryer. I had to see what was going on with that guy with those kids. I mean, you know, it sounds silly, but I, I didn't stress about performance. I, I tried to accomplish things, you know? And the beautiful thing about the character is he wears a lot of different hats. And his approach to deal with everybody is slightly different. Because basically, he wants things to go smooth. He wants to watch the ball game. He's not an extraordinary guy in a lot of respects, but he does have this extraordinary quality that he understands you know, the human connection. He understands that um, his happiness is dependent on their happiness, and their happiness is dependent on his. 
friend, so, father. Pardon? Friend, father, manager. Yeah, it speaks volumes for me. I mean, I'm moved by that. What I love in movies is not the big heroic actions, but the little kindnesses where people extend themselves to other people, you know, for just because they understand that it, it makes everybody feel better. <laughs> He is, in a way, kind of the dramatic centre of the film, never instigating the drama, but there, when the drama happens, it has to kind of... Well, he's got one foot in the world, their world, and he's got one foot in the other, outside, you know? I, I feel like he's, he's part of them, but he's also <laughs> got responsibilities to put him outside of the world a little bit. I wanted to talk to you, you know, about the colour of the film. <laughs> like, it's bright, and it's poppy, and it's glossy, and it's got a beautiful aesthetic to it. And it's also, but thematically it's set in social realism sense. So it's kind yeah. of nice that it's not gray and grimy and you're mm -hmm. showing this world that's kind of beautiful and bright and has kind of a bright side to it. Mm. Well, how did you work with your DOP to kind of create something that's not a cliche, but something a little bit fresh? Yeah, I think very early on, um, Alexis Sabe and I were on the same page in terms of how we wanted to approach it, saying that this is a, um, we're, we're, it's not like we're seeing the, this, this world through the eyes of Mooney, but we are seeing it through a child's perspective, meaning uh, perhaps one of, the, one of her groups, one, one of the uh, little gang members of her, you know, one of her friends, and spending the summer with her, and and so putting, uh, putting the audience in a place where hopefully this worked, where where uh, where the audience is given the senses of a child, uh, made our senses being a little acute, you know, like for example, I, I when I look back at my youth, I'm, I, I, from what I remember, colors were brighter. Decibel, I could hear more decibels. Um, my senses were just enhanced, and and that's how what we wanted to bring to this. Now those colors already exist. I mean, Route 192 and just Florida in general. It provided a very wonderful palette, and and but um, but Alexis was wonderful as, uh, as well as my my sister, who was production design on the film, production designer on the film, uh, Stefanik Youth, and our wonderful costume designer Fernando Rodriguez. They worked all together to really. To, and they were all in sync, and it was all about just taking the colors that existed there and, and perhaps just popping them a hair, one little degree. Um, so it's not hyper-reality, but it's just one notch above reality, um, as if we're seeing, you know, we're back in, w having the senses of a child again. So there was that approach, and it was very early on, and, and we just, uh, and you know, and I, I just worked with people who were able to, uh, to achieve that and, 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 and uh, and, and get that for me. So, yeah, yeah. And in reaching um, levels of kind of emotional intensity and peaknesses, um, we see that especially in the last scene with Mooney right. um, and the kind of that devastation where she just ends up at the door and she's right. in floods. How, of, how did you work with her to kind of try and access kind of that depth in someone so young? Well, Brooklyn Prince is truly special, um, meaning she is a prodigy in my eyes. She and she, uh, I, we, at, we, she won us over within seconds of the, in coming into the room, I think before we even put her in a scenario during the audition, she was already winning us over with her personality. And uh, she, so, but the, 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 the amazing thing about her is that she has, um, 
a real sense of the, the craft of acting, even at, at six years old, you know? And she, she's seven now, but a year ago, I could see even at the young age of six, she was understanding character development. She was understanding a, you know, her character enough so that putting her in scenarios, she was sometimes able to uh, improvise if I needed her to do it. Um, and then, of course, you know, that ending, um, it was scripted for tears. We had discussed, Samantha Kwan is actually right here, who is the acting coach on the film for the, for the children, uh, Bria and Mela. And we worked, um, we worked closely with Brooklyn, but we didn't want to rehearse that scene. And we, and we discussed it with uh, her parents. And, and the morning of, she came to set saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm ready. I think I'm going to try for tears. But we didn't want to we didn't want to manipulate in any way by saying, oh, think of a sad time in your life. She was already at the place where she said, I'm thinking about what Mooney is going through. She actually was in the moment. And um, quick little anecdote here. So we, we, were, we set up the shot. We set up the, uh, the camera over the shoulder of, little, uh, of Valeria uh, on, on Brooklyn. And while we were getting ready and the camera was you know, getting up to speed, um, Valeria was still Valeria. She wasn't in Jan C character yet, and she was actually having a little, uh, she started some small talk with Brooklyn, and she said, um, oh, are we going to have a sleepover this weekend, or something like that. She was, they became best friends on set, so she was just talking to her friend. And Brooklyn goes, um, Valeria, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to focus right now. I'm about to, I'm bringing tears, and I have to go to this other place. And we were just like, oh, my God, whoa, she's taking, she's taking this very seriously. But then within a minute, when actually she got into the scene and she started going to that place, we were astonished. We, we, just, we knew we had scripted for this, but we didn't really know she was going to take it to that level and deliver such an emotional performance. I remember, I, was, I think I was holding Samantha's hand, right? I was holding her hand, and I was looking at Alexis, and we were just behind the camera going, ooh, you know, this, is, this is special, but I can't even look. I can't even look. I had to separate myself in the moment by looking at the monitor. And so I yelled, cut. The crew all ran over and hugged her and comforted her, but she came down very quickly. And then I said, OK, moving on. We got it. One take. I said, we're going to get a wide shot now behind you or to the side. You can't even see your face, so don't worry about it. You did beautifully. One take. This time, we don't see your face. You don't even have to cry. So don't cry. Just fake it. And I sailed to action, and she did it again. <laughs> the tears came again. So it just shows that she's, it was like a, a, a true performance. And it was just, I'm so proud of her. And I'm also just so honored to have worked with this young, you know, this, this, this girl who was born to do this. I, I put her in the same camp as uh, Mickey Rooney and, and Jodie Foster, or somebody who was like, born into this and wants to do this and loves doing it. And I see has a very bright career ahead of her. Yeah. Seems like the perfect moment to bring them both on. Can we please welcome Brooklyn Prince and Valeria Cotto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> welcome both. Hello. 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 Um, <laughs> So when you were working on the film, what was kind of what was the best scene for both of you to shoot? My my best scene was probably the abandoned condos because you never know where where um the scene's gonna take you next, what room, what things the kids are gonna break. Um, but also in like the middle of the scene, 
it um, it it shows Mooney what's more wants more than what she has. In that, if you see in that bedroom, she says, "This would be my bed. This would be my bookshelf, and this would be my toys." In that in that scene, what that scene kind of showed what she wanted, and um, so yeah. Mm. I'm sorry, but what was the question? What was it about? <laughs> what was your favorite thing to film? I don't think it's working. Mm. Oh, hold on. Let's see. We can hear you. Hello? Can Hello? You? Hello? There, yeah, yeah. Okay. My favorite <clears throat> scene? Yeah. Let's see. Do, 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 do. My favorite scene was where, um, where we had a sleepover. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really fun, and there is where, like, um, Mooney and Haley come over because everything's not being so good in the other motel. Were you anything like, are you anything like Mooney and Jancy, or was it kind of, were they very different girls to play for you both? Not really. Um, well, my character, Mooney, was... Kind of different because I like ice cream, I like maple syrup, all the things she eats and all the things she drinks, I like. But um, I don't run on the streets unsupervised. I, I don't say I don't say cuss words. I don't um, ask why all the time. Uh, I don't get angry at people. I'm not bossy. <laughs> okay, so, um, okay, here's the things that I'm like, with Jancy, whatever. Um, you know how everybody's shy? I was shy and Jancy's shy, but then when I get to know someone or they get to know me, I get a little outgoing. <laughs> the things that I'm not related to, I am not a troublemaker. Number one, I do not run off with my parent. I do not run off without an adult. Like, who runs away without an adult? Seriously, who does that? <laughs> Three is, I never really make friends with troublemakers. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry. And I'd also like to give a shout out to Samantha Kwan. <laughs> she is such she she's is such an amazing person. She is such an amazing worker, people. You know, the thing is that uh, what's Samantha? Samantha, yeah. raise your hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, I. I, I, yeah, I, I also would like to say that, you know, going into this, I, I didn't know how to work with children. Mm -hmm. Samantha told me, you better, we better, you have to learn the ways of working with kids. I thought I might have to manipulate performance in editing, and she was like, no, but you don't want that. You want to hold, you want to, I wanted long takes to show that they were really performing. So they, so Samantha, in a way, turned the summer into a summer camp for the kids, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there were workshops and exercises uh, every day. When we were off shooting other scenes, they were always in the, one of the motel rooms, running through the scenes, um, you know, figuring out uh, 
getting the, getting the kids to a place where um, I could ask them to loosen it up. They would always learn their lines, but but sometimes I wanted alts, and I would ask for the sequence to be done again, where everybody sort of put things into their own words. And the kids were wonderful at that, absolutely wonderful. Yeah. It really did feel like you were living kind of a summer through or through children's eyes, in the sense that there were not, no massive dramatic moments, but mm. it's just those key little adventures that you have. Were you very careful not? to throw things in that we're kind of all accustomed to now, seeing on screen like a big dramatic turn or something big happening. But yeah, definitely. I, I, I always said that, you know, when, was, when you look back at your summers of your youth, when did they ever have a three-act structure? Was there ever, like, major character arcs in your summers? No, and we, we didn't want... And, and, and so we, we still knew there had to begin, be a beginning, middle, and end, and there had to be certain... Uh, you know, dramatic turns, but we wanted to really blur the lines of any acts or, or and really, um, I think, almost use documentary techniques in certain ways to, to uh, you know, to really what, make what looks like a hybrid between narrative fiction filmmaking and documentary. Um, so Chris and I, Chris Bragash, who I co-wrote the screenplay with, you know, we, we did... We did cover ourselves as out of protection. We we wrote scenes that had more exposition, um, that sometimes, uh, especially near the end of the film, were very procedural in terms of the you know uh, child protection services. We we went into detail about what an investigation would would how that would go down. There was there were scenes shot where Bria. Um, Haley would be talking to the caseworker, and we'd be figuring out, hearing details about something like this investigation. But that was only shot for protection mm. because we always knew that we wanted to stay with the kids. And yeah, I, when I was in post production, it was it, I, I I realized that every time we we went too far into the adult world, it was it was another film. And were there elements of improv during? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, no, I always encourage improvisation. There's some scenes that uh, stick very much to the written word and then others that are very much improv. Uh, and there are some sections in the script that actually uh, say that. Like, for example, uh, there's the, the, the scenes in which they're selling perfume is, is basi basically a paragraph that says uh, our actors will interact with real pedestrians and try to sell perfume and we'll shoot this in a candy camera type style. Mm -hmm. And there'll be a few, uh, what, there were like sample lines, but they're in the moment and they're interacting with strangers. So they had to <laughs> Yeah, and Sean literally put a little headset in my ear, and he was all the way at the other end of the parking lot, and he'd see people walking out of the hotel, and he'd just be like, go up to that couple. <laughs> and they literally had no idea what we were doing, and I'm there with Brooklyn just running up to all these random people like, do you want perfume? <laughs> it, was, it was definitely really, yeah. really funny. I think they sold one bottle. We something. did, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then other scenes were very much... Uh, Performed the way they were written and and uh, and shot the way they were written and um, but all of my actors they were always wonderful about they, they had the skill to improvise mm -hmm. or, or make it or or be free with it if if we asked them to and there's I uh, that moment where the the ice cream drips on the floor and there's that taunting the two kids to Bobby and the back and forth thing there um, that was pretty much uh, word for word uh, performed except for the last line, Willem says, thank you very much. And then Brooklyn was prompted to say, 
You're not uh, welcome. <laughs> so that those two lines became our improvisational part of that scene. We've got time for some questions from the audience. So if you can wait for a microphone. Do we have any questions? Two just here. Um, I, d I was intrigued by your reference to our gang, Little Rascals. And I think you might be amused or interested to know that one of the last survivors of those films was Jean Darling, yes. who came every year to the silent film festival and she was as mischievous in her 90s oh. as Mooney. Oh, wow. Still. <laughs> yes. That's great. Thank you. That's nice to hear. Just a huge uh, congratulations. That was so beautiful. And to all the actors, adults and children, you were fabulous. I'll never be able to eat an ice cream again without sharing with at least two friends. <laughs> but I just wanted to commend you because I felt there was such integrity and compassion in your storytelling. And it was very interesting to hear Bria say that you did have real contributors who lived in that motel. Mm. And even, say, the character of Bob, who's this heroic, ordinary man, but you found the extraordinary in the ordinary. Could you just talk a little bit about how you worked with your re real contributors? Mm. And you're the editor of the film as well. How, how did you tackle the edit on your own? With our, who were your people to bounce off in the absence of your director? Who was? <laughs> uh, well, um, regarding the, the uh, basically what we did, Chris and I, uh, we always do this with every film. We, because we're not usually from the world that we're focusing on, we want to take the time to uh, to, to approach this in a, in a way that represents respectfully and responsibly, and that requires us to um, collaborate to a certain degree, and, and we approach this in a journalistic way. I mean, we, we, we interviewed as many people as we could, residents at the motels, um, motel managers. There was one in particular that really opened the doors for us and really was our passport into the world because he actually, I felt that he wanted the stories told, and I, I got that from him um, without him ever saying it. He was just always willing to tell us stories, give us details, correct, look at our what we had written, sign off on it, tell us almost like an approval stage. Um, and, and also we spoke to uh, the agencies that provided social services to the area, particularly one called Hope 192, which uh, you know we're working with to this, to this day, trying to get, you know, they're trying to actually uh, develop a, um, a, an affordable housing complex on their property, and we're hoping this film helps them with that. But um, so it was really about taking the time to hear their voices and, 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 and working with them, and, and again, having this approval process where we pass the script by them and, and see what they thought. And uh, yeah, this, uh, this one character, you know, who, this one guy who actually very much inspired the Bobby character, um, he was in, he was, I, I saw there was something in, in him that uh, he was in a, in a very difficult position. You know, he, 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 he had to keep it professional. He, he uh, you know, he loved these people. You could tell he had a true compassion for, for the, especially for the children living in this predicament. But he also had to keep a distance. So he was never, it was never too much warmth because of the fact that at any time, any any day, he might be forced to evict one of these families and put them onto the street, and literally onto the street. We would see families walking up Route 192 with all their belongings in a, in a shopping cart and 
two children following the adults. And, and so this was something that was very real, and I saw it in these gentlemen, and it was like this reluctant parental thing going on. They didn't want to get too close, but they wanted to protect. And that was something that I think really inspired the Bobby character, and, and, and Willem got to meet this guy. And, I, and uh, so, so it was like that. It was just basically spending time with these people enough where we felt, Chris and I felt comfortable enough about writing a fictional, fictionalized screenplay in that world. That's really to answer that question. And then editing. They, we just had, actually, our premiere last week in Orlando, and it went wonderfully. I mean, it was, uh, we had residents from the motels coming to see it. Everybody was very happy with the final product. They, it, was, it, was, every, it, was, it was really, it was very moving and touching to hear feedback, but everyone thought it was very well. It, it depicted the area properly. The representation was correct. and. Uh, so that just happened actually last week, um, and re I'll just regarding the editing. Well, the editing, uh, I I edit myself and I drive my my partner crazy, uh, Samantha over here, <laughs> who has to deal with my uh, changing my schedule because I become a vampire. I live at night. I go insane, and I for six months get immersed in this thing where I, I don't really want to show many people, quite honestly. And, and my financiers were very nice about allowing me about three months off to, so I could distance myself from this. I had to. We knew that we were never allowed to go. We couldn't go back for, for pickups, being the fact that they were growing up every day. They would change. And so, so we knew we could never go back for pickups, and I just had to deal with the footage I had. So I had to separate myself, then come back to it almost like a documentarian, uh, documentary editor and, and start going. And there was that, that, that stage is almost like a third stage of writing for me. Um, it's like a rewrite in many ways. We, we deal, yeah, I told you about the scenes that I extracted, but then there was also uh, an order swapping and everything like that. So, yeah. You um, actually filmed this in 35 mil, yeah? Oh, 35 millimeter, yes. Uh, so um, from your last sort of iPhone yes, feature to kind of a 180. Right. Um, what were the choices to kind of then um, well, go to the other extreme? I wanted that, you know, I, I love celluloid. I, I wanted that organic feel, you know, this photochemical process so that we could almost be looking at these images on the screen as if they were like uh, almost like a, a, a journalist, uh, a photographer took shots of these kids in that environment, but also a postcard feel as if you were a tourist buying postcards to send to your family from, you know, visit Orlando. We were very, that's why there's a lot of symmetry in the framing um, and colors, as we talked about earlier. Uh, but also, we're living in a time where um, the death of, or the threat of the death of celluloid is a real thing. Mm -hmm. and, and I had the means to, to, to actually, you know, we had a budget this time around. And I, I wanted to do my little part in keeping Kodak open and running and, and keeping this medium alive because this medium is what created the, the art yeah. of cinema and, and just to, to discard it because a new one, an easier and cheaper one comes along, it's, it's, I don't think that's, the, that's not fair to this art. So let's keep film alive, yes. <laughs> In the um, it's a lovely movie, wonderful naturalistic performances all round. Um, there's, every, there's a lot of walking in this film. There was a lot of walking in Tangerine. Everybody's always on the move. Do you think you'll ever make a movie where people are just sitting around? <laughs> <laughs> I did. 
it's my first film, and I don't want to show it to anyone. It's, it's quite boring. <laughs> Sorry. Got time for one more question. Oh, there's two. Okay, we'll take these two. Hi. Um, thank you for an amazing film. Um, this is a question for Bria about Hayley. Um, she's such an amazing female character, and I think it's really quite rare to see a woman portrayed in such kind of complexity. Like, she's the hero of the film, but she's also her own worst enemy, and, you know, she can be violent, and but also so loving with her daughter. And I just kind of wonder if you, were, you guys were having conversations about that as you were making the film, um, and how you kind of brought that complexity out. Um, well, the script was very, very well written, and I feel like it really described the complexity of her character in a very correct way. Um, I also feel like she had all these very different relationships with the people around her. Like, for instance, her daughter was her rock. That was the only thing she really cared about. So that was the love aspect of her life. And then she had Bobby, who's kind of like the only real family she has because you don't really see any any family or, or anybody really around her. Ashley, it was the only friend she lost. And I mean, I feel like just based on what she was going through, the complexities of her character just naturally came out. Like for instance, with the fighting scene, to me, at least my interpretation of it is, it didn't come out of anger, it came out of love. At that point in time, her and Ashley were, were fighting and she put her pride down and asked for help. And when she said no, I feel like she lashed out because of love. It's like her last friend that she had left and she was gone. So I, I feel like the situations in her life really mold her character. And just because of the stress she's under, she, it's, it's hard for her to kind of keep it together and be positive all the time. Um, uh, wonderful performances. I just would like to know from Bria and Mr. Duffo how they managed to create such a rapport with the young actors. Well, Brooklyn and Valeria were just so easy, <laughs> easy to get along with. Um, they were a pleasure to work with. They brought so much joy onto the set every single day. Literally, we would walk. I would walk on set and there would be their smiley, shining faces every morning, just really ready to work. Um, and they took it really seriously, and that really helped. They were always prepared. They always knew their lines. That was very helpful. And I feel like being together for such a long period of time, <laughs> yes, girls, <laughs> being together for such a long period of time, really, we, we connected. And I felt like at, towards the end, we were like a family. So it was all very natural. It was nothing for us. They, they were really loving kids, and they really wanted to have relationships with us. Oh, I guess I got this. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of practical. We were uh, living in this uh, motel. We had to take care of each other. Uh, the kids were running around. You know, you kept your eye on them. Sometimes they were wild and drive you crazy. Other times you were really charming. <laughs> you know, it was the most practical thing in the world. It was uh, the kids drove the thing. You know, and uh, between <laughs> between between Sean and Samantha, you know, that was the tone. That was the world, and uh, we had to kind of uh, be there for them. And that really uh, that responsibility kind of showed you the way, showed you where to enter the world. 
I am simple. <laughs> and finally, Brooklyn and Larry, what did you first think when you first saw the film? What were your thoughts? My, my thoughts, my mind was like this. <laughs> and, and like, I was like, Sean did such a good job, but I couldn't say that because my eyes were bawling. Oh. And because, like, it's such a happy story until, like, until the, it's such a good building until the crane goes. What I mean, was the question? What did, you what, what did you think when you first saw the film? I felt mind blown. I, I would have cried because, like, it's such a touching story. It tells a real story. And the movie has a special message that people should really know. They really... They, they should really put their mind to it, and yeah, when they, they go and when they go to bed, just take like five seconds to look up their um, charity around their like the everywhere, and even if it's a two, even if it's a two-hour drive, just look it up, and <laughs> and when you find some charity that you want to donate to, do it. <laughs> That seems like the perfect thing to ask. Thank you. Thank you, Valeria, Brooklyn, Willem, Bria, and Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs>